It's good to see everyone again this evening. And this evening for our study, we'll be continuing uh, looking at the various miracles that Jesus performed while he was walking on this earth. Um, and the one that we'll be looking into this evening, we don't really get a lot of details surrounding, you know, the, the specific miracle itself. Uh, in both the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke, we have one verse that describes what happened with the miracle itself. Um, and the two passages are very similar, but we'll go ahead and read both of those passages because there are uh, some small differences. Uh, so in Matthew, it's Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 29 is the first uh, place where we'll read about this miracle. So Matthew 12, verses 22 through 29. <clears throat> uh, so there it's written, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. <clears throat> and then the second passage we'll read is in Luke, Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23. Like I said, these passages are very similar, but it does add a, a little extra detail in here. So Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23. There it reads, And he, being Jesus, was casting out a demon, and it was mute, and when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. <clears throat> but some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Others, to test him, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if, I, and if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God <clears throat> has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. <clears throat> so like I said, we don't really know very much about this person who was healed. All that we read about him is, you know, he was here, he was mute, he was blind, uh, he was possessed uh, by demons. Uh, but we don't read anything about, you know, really a description of him outside of that. We don't know anything about who his relatives were or who his close associations were. Uh, we don't seem to know whether he had been like always blind and mute from birth or if this is something that just happened uh, upon his possession by this demon. Uh, don't really know exactly what happened there. And even after the blind and mute man is healed of his infirmities, we read 
that the mute man spoke and saw, but we don't read any words that the man spoke. So we don't know if he immediately thanked Jesus or confessed Jesus as the Christ or, or any details of what words or actions that Jesus may have utilized in working this miracle. You know, some other ones we'll read and Jesus uh, will spit and use some mud or spit in someone's, uh, or whatever it may be. We read of some of Jesus' actions, but here we just read, Jesus healed him, he spoke and saw, he cast out the demon. And Matthew's account of this miracle, uh, he recounts how the man, after he recounts how the man was healed, uh, he records that some of the people who were present began to question, saying, this man can't be the son of David, can he? So there are multiple prophecies uh, that we can look back to that made it clear that the Messiah was going to be a descendant of David. And we can take a look at a few of those real quick. Uh, one we can find in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16 there. There God is speaking to the prophet Nathan, and he's telling Nathan to go to King David and tell David these words. Uh, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Even from the day that I command judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And when he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. And verse 16, he says, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So obviously in the earlier part of that passage, God is speaking about Solomon. Um, when he's talking about when he commits iniquity, then he will correct them, correct him with the rod of man. He's not speaking about Jesus right there. But in verse 16, uh, where he's saying, your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever. He's pointing forward uh, to the Messiah will be uh, of the lineage of David. Also in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. There it's written, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. So remember that Jesse was David's father. It says, And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. 
They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then in verse 10 again, it says, Then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the people, and his resting place will be glorious. And finally, we'll look at one more passage in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. We read, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. So we read about this uh, root of Jesse. I read about how David's house will be established forever. Um, how uh, he will raise up for David a righteous branch and all of these uh, great blessings that are going to come along with this descendant of David. So naturally, whenever someone was speaking with uh, the kind of wisdom and authority that Jesus was speaking with, and when someone was able to accomplish the things he was accomplishing, like casting out demons and working these miracles that were beyond uh, the natural law of physics that God has set in place for this earth, uh, people started contemplating the obvious. You know, God has promised that he's going to send the Messiah, and we know that the Messiah is going to be a descendant of David. Could this possibly be him? Now, Jesus didn't come from a prestigious family, as far as anyone could tell, really, in that day and age. Um, we remember Nathaniel's reaction when Philip came to Nathaniel and was telling him about meeting Jesus and, you know, could this be Messiah? And, uh, and Nathaniel had questioned, saying, you know, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, he had heard where Jesus came from, and he wasn't part of some a big, powerful family. So, you know, even though some of Jesus' qualities and actions seem to line up with what their expectations might be for the Messiah, he would be a great teacher, he would, you know, be a prophet, he would be able to, you know, potentially work miracles like this. Some of the people were asking the, the right question, <clears throat> could this be the Messiah? But some people certainly weren't convinced. And I think it's interesting to know what we read in Luke chapter 11 and verse 16. So Jesus has worked this miracle. Uh, there are some that are questioning, you know, whether he could be, the descendant of David. So after the miracle, in verse 16, it says, others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. So I don't know if that strikes anybody else as making it seem like these people surrounding Jesus at this time were fairly dense. Uh, the order of events here is a bit perplexing. You know, a man was just healed. He was mute. He was blind. He was possessed with a demon. So this man was just healed. It's a miracle. Everybody's standing around just amazed by what happened. And then others to test him are saying, well, show us a sign from heaven. I don't really, I don't get that. I mean, you just saw a, a miracle. A man was just healed. He didn't have a hangnail or a loose tooth or something like that. He was blind and he was mute and he had, he was possessed by a demon. There was nobody on earth who could help him with his type of infirmities. There was no uh, knowledge of medicine or whatever that could fix something like this. But he was just miraculously healed. So their response is like, to demand a sign from heaven. So, you know, I, sometimes I'll give myself a hard time saying that I have a bad memory, but this seems a bit extreme that this close to this miracle, they're, they're requesting another. And 
you know, I'm sure that Jesus was frustrated by this. It was probably a part of his daily life. I'm sure that he enjoyed healing people. He enjoyed people having good things and being happy and being well. Um, but, you know, those healings were just part of the larger picture of Jesus bringing the truth to, you know, us, to mankind, so we could understand, you know, what God expects of us and so he could bring salvation to us. There was a much greater purpose that he had than to just heal physical infirmities. So I'm sure it was frustrating that it probably seemed that no matter how many healings took place, there was always people who still only cared about, I, I want to see another miracle. Just let me see another miracle. I don't really I don't care so much about all the talking. Just let me see the miracles. Bring us a sign from heaven. And, you know, there's a lesson, I guess, in there for me that we need to make sure that I need to make sure that I'm setting aside my desire for, you know, entertainment and seeing something new uh, and make sure that I'm, you know, focusing my attention where it should be in heeding the words of Jesus and not just looking for the next big exciting thing. <clears throat> and while some people were asking the right questions and saying, you know, could this be the descendant of David? There were some that had heard Jesus' teachings, but they just firmly disagreed and weren't really entertaining that thought at all. And some of those individuals were the Pharisees. As we know, Jesus had encountered the Pharisees before, and they were certainly interested in who Jesus was. Uh, Jesus had eaten at the house of a Pharisee earlier in Luke, in Luke chapter 7. Uh, Jesus had already fed thousands by this point. Um, he had already cast out other demons and performed uh, many other miracles that they would have been aware of. And as we know, the Pharisees were among the most respected individuals in the Jewish community when it came to knowledge of and adherence to the law. Uh, but shortly after this miracle and after this conversation they're having, Jesus gave the Pharisees a, a bit of a thrashing uh, where he scolds them for their hypocrisy and for their love of attention. He talks about how they they desire the chief seats in the synagogue and they desire the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Uh, these men made a show of religion and they bent religion to their will instead of you know, bending their actions and their will to God's law. <clears throat> and Jesus knew this and he didn't cut them any slack. And Jesus and his teachings and his miracles were a threat to the Pharisees' influence and their way of life. So as we read here in these two passages after Jesus uh, perform this miracle. Uh, the Pharisees have seen these miracles, so that now they have some reconciling to do with what they just saw. Uh, you know, we don't like Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus is a threat to us. So now how are we going to explain this to the people to make sure we keep them calmed down and they don't, you know, start going a different direction than following us and giving us these respectful greetings in the marketplaces and, and all that such a thing. So instead of seriously considering like some others were, whether or not this could possibly be the son of David, they instead began to formulate the claim that Jesus, he was performing these miracles by some darker power. They couldn't deny that Jesus was performing miracles. They obviously believed it was supernatural. It wasn't just he had some new chiropractic technique that was working better than somebody else's. It was obviously supernatural. So uh, they say it must be by some darker power. <clears throat> So, because if they conceded Jesus was performing miracles by the power of God, that means that God was, uh, you know, affirming what Jesus, the message that Jesus was teaching. That would mean that he had God's approval. Uh, but there was no other knowledge or power or practice on earth that could accomplish these things. 
that was supernatural, so they had to attribute it to Beelzebul, the prince of the demons, or Satan. So they claimed that Jesus was in cahoots with these demons, and that's why Beelzebul, the prince of the demons, would allow Jesus to supposedly cast these demons out. So naturally for Jesus, who is here trying to lead the people in the right direction. He just performed this miracle to try to accomplish something positive. And now these Pharisees who are claiming to be the religious elite and the most godly are trying to twist that and turn it against him. Uh, It makes Jesus very angry. So then he explains that a kingdom divided against itself will be laid to waste. And you know, when I read that, as a side note, that makes me a bit concerned for the nation we live in. Uh, if we're not sorely divided as a nation uh, at the moment, uh, outside from outright civil war, I don't know what it's going to take to reach that point. But Jesus explains, you know, when a kingdom is divided against itself, it's going to waste its energy. It's going to waste its resources on fighting itself. And it's just going to be chasing its own tail. It's not going to be a threat to any other nation and any other nation that may, you know, want to uh, impose themselves on that nation are not going to have as difficult of a job with a nation that's already divided and confused versus trying to come in and take over one uh, that uh, is in disunity, that's divided against itself. And Jesus explains that it's the same way for Satan, that if Satan is divided against his own kingdom, how is it going to stand? How is he going to have any chance of accomplishing his purpose if he and all of his demons are just out working against each other? And then Jesus makes another point that I think is a genius observation. Uh, Jesus asks the Pharisees a simple question. So surely there are many people who are gathered around at this point. So Jesus has been teaching. There's been a notable miracle. Um, people are all gathering around. We, As we continue to read through chapter 11 of Luke, we read in verse 29 that the crowds were continuing to increase. So there's more and more people that are starting to crowd around as the Pharisees are beginning to challenge uh, what authority Jesus uh, is casting out these demons by. So uh, possibly there were others who were excitedly waiting for their opportunity to be healed. Uh, We have those we know that were wondering if this could be the son of David. And in the previous chapter, Luke chapter 10, Jesus had just recently sent out 70 of his disciples in pairs to go out into the cities and to teach what Jesus had been teaching and to perform miracles and to cast out demons. And we read in Luke chapter 10 and verse 17 how they had uh, they carried out their mission that Jesus gave them and they came back and they were all excited and they were telling Jesus, hey, you know, we were able to go out and cast out these demons in your name too and we were able to perform these miracles and we taught and this is amazing. So they were all excited about what had happened. So, you know, as a parent, you know, we're all interested in what goes on in our children's lives. Uh, We're very familiar with our children. Uh, We know their character. We spend a lot of time with them. And when they're away from us for a while, uh, we wonder, you know, how I wonder how their day is going. And we ask them as soon as we see them, you know, how was your day? Tell me about your day. What happened? Who'd you talk to? Uh, Anything interesting? So these 70 disciples had recently returned from their tasks And I would say it could be likely that at least some of these parents were maybe around at this time. Their their child came back. They know their child's been spending time with Jesus and 
may have been excited about that and they're hearing about these miracles that they had been performing in other cities. Uh, so you may have some of those parents scattered out <clears throat> through this big crowd that's gathered around after this miracle when these Pharisees are making these accusations. <clears throat> so when the Pharisees suggest that Jesus is in, is in cahoots with Satan to cast out these demons, Jesus kind of turns them over to the wolves in my opinion and he asks the Pharisees and the rest of the people that are gathered around, he says, okay, if I by Beelzebul or cast, am casting out demons, by whom are your sons casting them out? So they will be your judges. So, I mean, how ingenious is that? I mean, if you had these parents that are in the crowd and their kids are standing there that they know have gone out and they've casted out these demons and they know their character, uh, now maybe the Pharisees wouldn't think twice about cutting down Jesus and associating him and his works and teachings with Satan. But now Jesus tells them if they're going to claim that about him, they also have to claim that about these 70 young men that he just sent out and uh, to these cities. And they may have had family and parents present. And, you know, I don't know what status they may have had in the community, but he makes it about more than him. It's, you know, there's some of my disciples here, and if you put this on me, you're also putting it on them. So I just imagine that the Pharisees had to be a bit surprised and frustrated by how Jesus turned the tables on them there. Uh, Jesus then goes on to explain how it is that he was able to cast out the demons. And I think this is a very powerful part of this passage. Uh, Jesus explains in Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22, he says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he has relied and distributes his plunder. So now Jesus isn't just telling a, a little story here. So we think about this miracle that just took place and we think about what Jesus is really saying here. He's saying, okay, well, you originally tried to say that I was casting out these demons by Satan. And so if I'm doing that, that means that your sons are casting them out by Satan too. But that's not the case. So I'm going to tell you why I'm able to cast out these demons. I'm able to cast them out because Satan, even though it's str he's strong, even though he's armed with all of his spiritual weaponry and is set on defending his house, I'm stronger than Satan is. He knows that I'm here. He knows that I'm coming for him. He's fully armed. He's on watch. He's not letting his guard down. But I'm stronger. And if I want to... I don't have to sneak into his house through a window to take what I want. I can walk right up to the front door and I can strip him of his armor and bind him and take what I want. You know, if he thinks he's in control of it, he's wrong. I'll take it and I'll distribute it as I want to. I'm, he's, a, he's a strong man watching his house, but I am one stronger. And that's how I'm doing it. That to me is an extremely bold thing to say. And we know why Jesus was able to say it, but to be able to tell these people, I'm, I am stronger than Satan and he, he does not scare me and I will go in and I'll do this as many times as I want to. It's not because he's my friend, it's because he can't stand up to me. <clears throat> so, you know, he, he doesn't fear Satan just like, you know, we wouldn't fear a chicken. I have some chickens. And, you know, if I get in our coop at night, they may raise a fuss if I get in there. But in the end, I'm confident that I've got enough power I can keep these chickens at bay, and if I want to take one of their eggs and I want to take it to the house and eat it, I can do it. And I don't have any concern about that because I know my strength is greater 
than the strength of this chicken. And that's kind of how I view this for Jesus. It's might Satan raise a fuss? Might he not like this? Of course, but he knows in the end, he knows where his power comes from. He knew that his father was on, is on his side and wouldn't let him fall and would be there to, to support him with this. So he, he was not afraid. And the great thing is that God has that same power today <clears throat> that he had back then. And just like Jesus didn't have to be afraid, he didn't have to be intimidated. You know, we can be thankful that if we're living faithfully to God, that he's going to look out for us. He's going to look out for our spiritual best interest. Uh, we don't have to be afraid or intimidated either uh, whenever we run into trials in our lives. We can depend on God just like Jesus could every single time, 100% of the time. And he'll give us every ounce of strength that we need to accomplish the works that he's uh, laid out for us to accomplish and to produce the fruit that he wants us to produce. And we should be confident in that. The scriptures and the miracles contained in it, like the one that we've considered for this evening, give us assurance that you know, what we read in the Bible is true, that Jesus really is the Son of God. You know, that was the whole point of these miracles, was to prove through uh, something supernatural, something that could not possibly be explained by our laws of physics or knowledge of biology or science or whatever. It was something supernatural to prove that, yes, Jesus is telling the truth. Um, there is a a time coming when this old law is going to pass away and uh, Jews and Gentiles will all be, you know, one nation under God. It was, it was all true and God attested to that through these miracles. And there's nothing that he can't do and he loves us so much he was willing to send Jesus and allow him to endure all the things that he endured, uh, not really for his benefit, but for our benefit. It just brings him joy for, you know, us to love him and to serve him. And that's such a, it's so hard to understand why it brings him the the joy and the pleasure that it does, but we're all we're all glad that that's true, and that he does love us. So I hope that we'll keep these things at the front of our minds as we go through another week. Uh, that we have this same God. Uh, we are on His side, and if we're on His side and being faithful, uh, there's nothing that we can't handle.